0: Welcome to the Healthy Moms podcast with Katie from wellnessmama.com. Today, we again join Katie and pharmacist Mary Lee Snodgrass as they discuss the truth about common medications, including those for cholesterol, high blood pressure, heartburn, and more. In this episode we will discover why we are seeing such a drastic rise of these medications and their corresponding problems in the last few decades, as well as what we can expect if these trends continue. Find out why taking medications like acid blockers might do more harm than good in the long run, why reducing cholesterol may be a bad idea, and the supplements that can help undo the damage from using these medications. To help you discover your own health answers, Mary Lee has offered her PDFs showing the cascade of pharmaceuticals that can occur from taking just one medication. To get this and all other bonuses from past episodes, join our community at wellnessmama.com forward slash podcast. That's wellnessmama.com forward slash podcast.
1: Mary Lee, welcome back. I'm excited for this episode as well. Um, Another topic that you and I have discussed and that it seems like that has become a bigger and bigger topic recently is common misconceptions when it comes to digestive health, especially with um, cholesterol and how heart health is tied in here. And uh, I'm not an expert on this as you are with the pharmaceutical side, but from what I've read, um, heartburn and indigestion have become really rampant problems lately. And you probably um, in the pharmacy, maybe you see a lot of this firsthand and The sales of things like acid blockers and proton pump pump inhibitors are some of the fastest growing in the pharmaceutical industry, at least from the report that I read. So can you talk about some of these drugs, how they affect the body, and um, do they really solve the problem or what are they doing in the body?
2: Yes, I can. First of all, let me tell you, I'm so excited to be here and I'm having lots of fun. So let, uh, we talked a little bit about how medications deplete nutrients and these nutrient depletions can cause another symptom or complaint and you go to your doctor and he gives you another medicine. The cycle repeats itself. But let me kind of give you three ways of how this can occur, these nutrient depletions from these prescriptions. So these medications or chemicals can chelate or grab a vitamin or mineral and hold it. And that makes it unusable unusable to the body. Um, these prescriptions Can also alter or change the pH or the acidity in our stomach, and this affects digestion. And digestion is the key to good health. The third way is these um, prescriptions or medications can stimulate or inhibit enzymes that are involved in chemical reactions throughout the body, and this totally disrupts the natural
1: process. That makes. A lot of sense. So why do you think we're seeing a rise of a lot of these problems with indigestion and heartburn and the, the need for all of these proton pump inhibitors and acid blockers?
2: Acid blockers, this is a highly prescribed group of medications, whether it's Zantac, the generic name for that is ranitidine, we have uh, Pepsid. The PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, would include Nexium, Protonix, Prilosec, um, Omeprazole, highly prescribed So what do these drugs do ideally? They decrease stomach acid. When they were created probably about 20 years ago, it was a strong class of drugs that were created. It shuts, not shuts down stomach acid completely, but very much diminishes it. And they were intended to be used for only six weeks, and ideally just for ulcer patients because that is too much acid production in the stomach. So the problem is we're on these drugs for years we've way past the six-week point and something if you just bring in common sense if you just ask the question since when do we need a pill so that we can eat that's that's not right that's not right so these acid blockers proton pump inhibitors are shutting down your stomach acid but guess what that's an essential function in the body you have to have it to break down digest your food and absorb your nutrients also, the stomach acid fights off uh, invading viruses and uh, b- bacteria that we might uh, be exposed to through the mouth. Um, these drugs, if you're going to deplete your uh, affect your stomach acid, you can just imagine what these drugs are depleting nutritionally-wise. Vitamins, minerals, hormones, everything, bottom line. Um, so if you're going to do this drug, you're going to eventually gets a lot of antibiotics because you're going to be sick because our stomach acid is essential in the immune system. You're going to be low in magnesium. You're going to be low in B vitamins. You're going to be low in zinc. And all these things are going to precipitate more symptoms and create more complaints that you're going to go to your doctor and get more prescriptions. I call this a cascade of doom. So if you're going to be in a PPI, ask yourself, why am I on it? There's a reason why you're on it. Here we go. Back to food again, back to stress. What are you eating? Are you drinking too much alcohol? Are you eating on the run? Are you chewing your food? It even goes, it gets as simple as are you chewing your food? Are you basically just chewing a couple bites and then swallow it? Digestion begins in the mouth. So ideally, I don't want anybody on this medication, but if you do, say if you have an ulcer, Be sure and take a good multivitamin with it and also a good probiotic. And I would take extra magnesium to address these depletions. Um, What's scary is that we're putting our newborn babies on these drugs now. Uh, We fill prescriptions all the time that we have to compound these up for the newborns and the infants and even the young toddlers that are having acid reflux. And the doctors do not hesitate one bit to put them on it. And so think about what you're doing to that child's digestion for his future growth. The sad thing is, it's hard to convince the doctors and the moms because the baby feels better, mom feels better, doctor thinks he's had a success story. So once again, that gets back to um, food. What is the mom feeding the baby? What kind of birth do we have? Did the baby's gut get populated as it should have? If not, get that child on a probiotic to help get his gut populate with good bacteria so he can support his immune system and grow the way he should
1: yeah exactly it it's kind of amazing i feel like that even in the last just five or six years that i've been a lot of my friends have been having kids and we've been having kids i know a lot of cases of babies going on these drugs and um, and even adults and when i talk to my parents and even my grandparents before they passed away um it doesn't seem like it seems like this is extremely recent and more and more so. And there's so many commercials for some of these drugs that you mentioned, like Prilosec and Nexium, like every other commercial during sports and different events that we watch on TV. Um, Why are we seeing the rise of these problems so much? Does it also go back to other cascades of interventions with pharmaceuticals? Is it um, just more dietary or like you said, we shouldn't need a pill to eat food. Yes. And are you talking about the babies, the children, the
2: babies too? Yes. Um, you know what? It's like they think that um, a baby having colic is abnormal. You know, babies spit up. You know, that's the normal thing. And, and um, sometimes I feel like it's a lot of intolerance and not being patient enough. So, but I feel like, you know, when, when a mom comes to me that, that's been put on an acid blocker for her child, first thing I ask them, um, was your baby a C-section or vaginal birth? Uh, did you breastfeed? And from those answers, if they did not breastfeed or if they were a C section or even if even if they were, I talked to them about, well, what what's this baby being exposed to? Um, have did the doctor talk to you about a probiotic? Because I, I tell them all, I said, Listen, you're you're cutting the, the acid production from this baby's stomach. It's gonna affect his health long term if you're going to use this, use it short term, but by all means, please get on a probiotic. And this is why. And usually when they, when I tell them that most of them will agree to the probiotic and they say, well, why didn't my doctor tell me this? So, uh, you know, I feel like I've swim upstream a lot trying to convince the moms, but, uh, when I get their attention, they really listen to me. They, they understand what they're doing and they try to minimize that drug or at least use it for short term and then address it otherwise.
1: That makes sense. And so I would guess if this is reducing stomach acid, are there side effects to these like um, constipation or things like that? And I've also read from some sources that it's not even that we have um, too much stomach acid sometimes, but too little. And that's what's also contributing to the indigestion. So just taking these things for the long term, can that make the problem worse over time? Common sense tells me, yes, it does.
2: Um, These babies, um, they, they tend to be constipated. They tend to have skin issues down the road. They tend to get sick often, and so they'll get an antibiotic, and that kind of enhances the whole process of this cascade of doom. Uh, and you hate to think that. It's all, it's all fixable. Um, it's not like if you could put this baby on this acid blocker, they're going to be doomed for life. No, but if let's get them off it as soon as we can, and then let's start supporting gut health. A lot of times, it's what we introduce food too soon to the baby. Um, you know, the babies are supposed to be on breast milk a lot longer than what we are. And formula is not always a digestible protein for that baby. And that causes disruption in the gut. I mean, that no wonder they, they uh, have colic and, and refluxing a little bit. So it's a, it's a really serious problem. I've tried to reach out to pediatricians. I've not had much success with it. So, um, moms out there, please question it. Uh, even if you have to go pick up the prescription, Try a probiotic first. You'll be surprised. You really will be surprised.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you've mentioned the probiotics quite a bit, um, which makes me think that there definitely is a bacterial side here. And you also hear about H. pylori a lot when it comes to digestive health. Um, What is that? How does that come into play with these, with with digestive health and with medications? So that, once
2: again, is just an overgrowth of a bad bacteria in the gut. And so what causes that overgrowth? That's going to be, here we go. Food, the food that we eat, or the food that we don't eat it's going to be frequent antibiotics it's going to be stress It all goes back to our root causes um, I've seen h pylori it's it's become very common now it's really amazing, and the doctors are fixing it for the most part with two antibiotics and an acid blocker, and nothing's done about dressing their what their gut health is doing or their food
1: gotcha and it yeah, with the antibiotic, like you said with that shotgun in their gut. Um, it would seem like that would just set you up for future relapse or other issues with imbalances there. Right. Um, so another commonly prescribed medication that I don't have any personal experience with, um, but that there's been a lot of talk about recently is medications related to cholesterol. And in the past few weeks, I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of news releases that medical associations in the U S are no longer classifying cholesterol as a forbidden food, or they're, they've now switched a little bit they're not saying it's a Um, a huge dietary problem, they're saying now that there's not a connection between dietary cholesterol and cholesterol in the body, or they have a lot of um, different explanations there. But basically that uh, consuming cholesterol is not affecting the body the way we thought it was, and that maybe avoiding all dietary cholesterol is not actually a good idea. Um, But let's try to understand this. What is cholesterol and how does it work in the body? And is it bad?
2: So there's some hope there, isn't it? Cholesterol is good. We have to have it. Uh, the media and the uh, medical world has painted it bad for so long. We need cholesterol for healthy brains. But we talked about hormones earlier. Cholesterol is our building block to our hormones. So that's the first thing we have to have to create our hormones. So a cholesterol is essential. And it's just been been, been given a bad rap. Um, the pharmaceutical industry has benefited from it.
1: That makes sense. So is reducing cholesterol with medication, um, is that Is that necessary at times, or is that a bad idea as well? Is there a cascade of interventions that happens with that?
2: Well, um, cholesterol-reducing medications are called statins. You might know them as Lipitor, Crestor, Zocor, um, Simvastatin. That's a generic name. And they are highly prescribed. Um, Yes, some cases maybe it might be appropriate. I am not a fan. I feel like it can all be treated naturally. Once again, by looking at root causes, the problem with these drugs, uh, and remember I said they are highly prescribed. Many doctors think that it should be in the drinking water. Um, they deplete a nutrient called CoQ10. So what is CoQ10? It stands for coenzyme Q10. And this is a vital nutrient. It's found in every single cell in the body, and it helps each cell to produce energy. And your, your cell has to produce energy to be functional. Um, And if not, it will be dysfunctional or die. So we're talking about cellular level here. Well, the funny thing about CoQ10, guess where it's most concentrated? In your heart. So think about it. We're taking a medication from our doctor to decrease cholesterol that protects us maybe from a heart attack, but it's robbing CoQ10 from our body, which is most concentrated in the heart. So that, that is not common sense. It just doesn't make sense. So there's all kinds of signs um, that associate with low CoQ10. Um, that if it was not addressed, if these signs were not addressed, you'd be put on multiple medications. And then we go into that cascade of doom, the polypharmacy, um, the drug cascade, uh, wash, rinse, repeat, as I said before. So let's just start with heart. Signs of CoQ10, CoQ10 depletion in the heart. Congestive heart failure, increased blood pressure, arrhythmia. So that, that could be a lot of prescriptions right there. If you were taking a statin for cholesterol and you all, all of a sudden you developed high blood pressure and arrhythmias, those are serious medications. The, the CoQ10 is very protective of the brain. So if you're low in it due to being on one of these medications, you can have stroke. You can be associated with depression, uh, memory loss, even dementia. So, headaches are also associated with low CoQ10. CoQ10 is really important for the muscles. Think of your heart muscle, but muscles all over the body, especially the legs. So many people on these medications cl- complain of leg aches, cramping, tired legs. Because CoQ10 depletes energy, you, you get fatigued muscles. Um, restless leg is a big deal. We didn't used to have restless leg we have all kinds of prescriptions for restless leg now. To me, I'm like, I would put them on CoQ10 and address this nutrient depletion. This is a big one with CoQ10. And I do feel like the the doctors are kind of getting on board with this, but CoQ10 can elevate your blood sugar. So think about that. You could easily get diagnosed as a, a diabetic with that. And then we start all the diabetic medications and the insulin and the testing and the syringes. And that's a that's a whole nother can of worms um if you have gum disease that might be due to coq10 depletion so look at all the potential medications that could be prescribed for this depletion alone so this one is this is one the first one i drive home to the doctors i talk to because so many people are on statins get them on coq10 they may not have these uh, these symptoms right now but they will down the road so let's do some preventive health here Uh, A couple other class of drugs that deplete CoQ10, most of your blood pressure medicines, and believe it or not, most of your diabetic medicines do too. Um, There's a class of drugs called tricyclic antidepressants. Those are like your amitriptyline uh, and nortriptyline. Um, They also deplete CoQ10, and amitriptyline is prescribed a whole lot for women and even kids. So something else that to me is amazing about um, cholesterol common sense here. When you decrease cholesterol with one of these statins, one of these cholesterol lowering medicines, guess what? You can be affecting your hormones because estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone have to have cholesterol as a building block. So if you do have, if your cholesterol is so low, you're not going to have healthy levels of hormones. And all you got to do is turn on the TV and look at all those ads for testosterone. I mean, it's an explosion right now. So every time I see one or I feel a prescription for one, I just, I wonder, I wonder if this guy's on a statin and his cholesterol is so low that he can't make enough testosterone, which only creates more medications for him.
1: It's crazy how it's all interconnected, and it makes so much sense. I love that you can explain it from the pharmaceutical side and how those actually affect nutrients in the body. And I think, hopefully, that that's something we're going to see more and more research on, and hopefully more and more medical professionals like you coming out and understanding um, and being willing to share the word about. Um, So with cholesterol, based on the fact that these drugs can affect, I, I think of it kind of like if we avoid vitamin D or vitamin D sources of food or the sun, that may help prevent, like for instance, skin cancer. But then if you are low in vitamin D it can increase your risk of every other kind of cancer so it's like always finding that balance um and I've also read studies that are correlative studies that those with really low cholesterol are actually at the highest risk of dying from all sources um so is there really is it really good at any point to reduce cholesterol by medication like that or do you think there are other options um it, like what what are the time and place for those if any
2: um probably a lot of doctors would probably fight me really hard, uh, this patient had a heart attack, let's get them on a cholesterol-lowering medication. And, you know, I would I would say, sure, let, okay, that's fine, but let's get them on some CoQ10, and let's look at their lifestyle. Let's let's clean them up and get them healthy that way, and then maybe eventually we can get them off the cholesterol-lowering medication. So, um, you know, I can't bash everything that comes right. my way. Um, so there, I'm sure there's a time and place, but I'm going I'm to work with the patient's lifestyle first, That's going to be me, but I have time to do it. And the doctors don't. Um, And so this is their answer. And, and it's, I'm sure for many of them, they have found it successful, something you'll find interesting. So another reason why I'm so happy I've practiced this long back years ago, I mean, years ago, when I first started practicing uh, a, a normal cholesterol under 300 was considered okay. So we didn't see very many people on cholesterol medicines. And as we've gotten further along, they keep bringing that number further and further and further down. And now anything on over 200 they think is abnormal. And I'll say it again, the people that have benefited from this has been the pharma, big farmer. Big farmer, once again, has benefited. And I've read that in, uh, cholesterol under 160 is not healthy. And I have many patients that come tell me, guess what, Mary Lee? My cholesterol is 140. And I just stare at them. I'm like... That is not good oh my doctor's so proud not good not good so there's a lot of um, things about cholesterol that we need to understand that we need to know the real truth about
1: that makes sense and especially with them like you said contributing to hormone production um, and how those hormone drugs can reduce CoQ10 and this whole cascade. So I would think for the segment of the population that maybe is at that point where their doctor is suggesting the cholesterol reducing medication or the heartburn and indigestion medication or the testosterone enhancing medication, um, if they're even going to do those things, like you're saying, maybe look at it as a short term way to help get the body back working how it's supposed to, but also be addressing the lifestyle causes. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think that, and that's that's common sense. I'm open to that. I really feel like it's we've got
2: to use both worlds. You know, we know so much of medicine, so much of medicine is really good, but so much of medicine has changed and common sense is out the door and we've lost the human touch and we need to be looking at the body as a whole, not just that organ system, not just that specialty. And so I feel like the answer is in using what we've learned with modern medicine and using common sense that our ancestors knew.
1: Yeah, and I like that you give people hope as well. Have you seen this with um, people that you've done consults with, that they were able to address lifestyle things and address their digestion and their gut and then eventually wean off of these things with the care of their doctor? Have you seen that?
2: Yes, I have. Um, it's, it's actually really fun. Um, and uh, there's hope for everybody at all ages. I've worked with women in their 70s with just getting their lifestyle cleaned up a little bit. Uh, I've worked with children, children with focus issues, Teenagers, um, perimenopausal, menopausal women, and if I'll spend a good forty-five minutes to an hour with them or longer, and if I give them nothing else, I give them hope, and I try to show them that this is not how you have to feel the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. There, there are answers to this, and these answers aren't hard. You just have to do the work. I'm going to give you the knowledge and tell you the why, and so you'll understand why it's so important to make these good choices. And, um, usually, you know, we, every, everybody turns out pretty happy, but they, I give them the knowledge, but they've got to go out there and do the work. And if they don't do the work, you're not going to find the success.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Are there anything else on this topic of, especially the digestion and heart health side that you would encourage people as like maybe some of those baby steps to start off with if they're in that stage of life where they're getting these suggestions for these medications? So, um, you know, if a doctor gives you a diagnosis, First of all, ask why.
2: And uh, second of all, know that probably you can fix it through lifestyle. Even though the doctor might tell you or the practitioner might tell you, well, that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what you eat. But it does matter. So you just have to um, pick your battles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I say to my patients. Let's Let's pick our first battle here. And it might be something small, but we're going to tackle that and you will feel better because you, 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 you conquered that. So then let's go to the next battle because many times you can walk away from our consults and be completely overwhelmed with all the changes that need to be made, but you have to start somewhere myself. I mean, I didn't, I didn't clear up my arthritis overnight. It took me a while and a lot of changes, but I knew I was on the right path and As I tell my patients, just eat like your ancestors did. We've just complicated everything, and it should not be this way. These are all new issues in the past 25, 30 years that we did not used to have. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've got to share this with our children uh, so they know how to eat and their children's children. Because at some point, this has to stop. This has to stop. I'll have to tell you what I tell my boys. I had two sons, and they've had to listen to me through this journey, and they've had listened to me rant and rave, but I did tell them, listen boys, I feel like um, they'll look back in this time, this time, these past 25 years, 30 years, and call this the pharmaceutical era, because I feel like we'll look back in this time years from now, and say, what were we doing to our people, our babies, our children, the elderly, all ages, why were we putting chemicals in their body, one after another, um, the pharmaceutical industries." And the insurance industry's answer to preventive medicine is another medication. And so I think we'll really look back on this and say that was not right. That was not right. So hopefully we we reach that point quicker rather than later.
1: Definitely, and I—that's what I love about your approach, and why I was so excited to have you on—is that I feel like you give people balance and hope with that, and you're not telling them there's never a time and a place for this, and you're not telling them don't listen to your doctor ever. You're saying if you're gonna do the medication side, also do the lifestyle side, and also look at why. Don't just take this to cover it up, um, and don't start that whole cascade. But if you have a problem that you've worked with your doctor to find, also try the lifestyle things, and it's not going to hurt anything to eat more real food or to get more sleep or to calm down and not be stressed. And that might also help with that problem that even if your doctor doesn't think it's related, you're addressing it from the root as well. And so I love that about your approach. Thank
2: you. Uh, As I tell my patients, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I'm okay if I'm wrong, but prove me wrong.
1: So Exactly. I think my mom used to say that when I was a teenager and I'd be really stubborn and I'd argue with her, she'd be like, okay, fine, prove me wrong. And usually I couldn't. So. Yeah. And
2: you know, a lot of times it's, it's, and I try to tell my patients like, I don't have to be right. I'm just giving you the truth. This is the truth. I wasn't taught this. The doctors weren't taught this. I mean, I was very traditional for 25 years doing what I was taught in pharmacy school and we're taught to treat symptoms basically. So this is something... Um, if the truth's out there, you just got to know it, but all you got to do is look at common sense and that is the truth. And if you just go to your common sense and ask why, then you can probably figure it out yourself.
1: Exactly. And even though doctors aren't necessarily trained in this, and I'm hopeful that they are going to be hopefully more and more so in the future, I am yet to meet any doctor who would tell people not to eat vegetables, not to get sleep, not to reduce their stress. Those are all things that doctors are aware are helpful across the board as well. And they may not say it's going to help with your indigestion problem or it's going to help with your cholesterol problem, but they're not going to tell someone not to do it either. So those are things I feel like you can do while still working with a doctor or while still working with a pharmacist um, to help just address everything from the ground up and and solving those problems in a holistic way.
2: Absolutely. And as we talked earlier there, there is a change. There is a momentum. And people are becoming more open. And I have found in my area, I've got doctors who are more open to listen to me. And it changes their practice and makes everything so much more meaningful. I mean, it's changed my life being able to reach out to people and um, help them regain their health. And it's much more fun to go to work every day. I mean, it's I have a blast at work. And I love teaching um, the patients, I love teaching other pharmacists, I love working with the doctors and the nurse practitioners, because once they see it, they're like, oh, yes, now my eyes have been opened. So it's, it's been, it's been, it's very hopeful out there
1: yeah absolutely I feel the same way and I think a lot of people even listening are on the front lines of that and making those decisions for their own families and choosing the real food and prioritizing these lifestyle factors and I am like you I'm hopeful that we're seeing those changes start to happen and I appreciate your time being here again and I can't wait for our final episode um, when we're going to talk about combining a little bit what we just touched on combining the conventional and the natural to actually make solutions and to help that pendulum keep swinging so thanks Marilee for being here today thank you
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Moms Podcast. To get the bonus from the episode, as well as a content library of free health resources, join the community at wellnessmama.com forward slash podcast.